This is Essential. Essential. This is Essential Audio. Before we get started, just a reminder that the 2022 Wark Awards for Effectiveness are opening for entries soon. Entry is free, and you can find more details on Wark.com. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome to Wark Behind the Winning Idea. I'm Fergus O'Carroll, host of the On Strategy podcast. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to have been invited by Wark to host this series. On this episode, we're going to hear about Mersk and their B2B Grand Prix award-winning campaign. Mersk is the largest and best-known ocean container shipping company in the market. And part of their uh, new strategy was based on the uh, understanding that customers were finding the container shipping industry to be frustrating, navigating multiple suppliers at each step. Mersk set out to reshape the industry by diversifying and building out new offerings, in essence, turning its business from ocean container shipping to complete end-to-end uh, logistics provider. The campaign grew brand value for Mersk, and the company saw a 24% increase in logistics revenue. Um, the spots that you're going to hear in the actual recording here don't do the work justice. The actual work uh, needs because it it has a it has a uh, it doesn't have a very a very prominent audio track, so it's hard to understand it when you're just listening to it. You really have to see it, and I would strongly encourage you uh, either after or before you listen to the recording to go to YouTube and search for Maersk. Uh, it's called Disconnected, and Maersk, of course, is spelled M-A-E-R-S-K. Uh, it's a it's a sort of a uh, Stranger Things. If you guys may remember that Netflix series, it feels like Stranger Things in in terms of it being sort of sci-fi meets thriller, and it feels like a legitimate movie trailer uh, for a series. And that's what's so unique about this. It reminds me of the B two B work uh, that we saw a couple of years ago from Volvo Trucks with John Claude Van Damme doing his splits on the truck. And it reminds me of that in terms of it being so original. Uh, and of course, one other thing that strongly reminds me of is a number of uh, years back when EDS did that brilliant herding cats spot from Fallon and in Minneapolis. And these were all extremely original business to business spots. And were enormously successful, and I think that's what we see here also with this campaign. Uh, but check it out if you uh, if you get a chance to see the spot. It's a four minute or five minute film, uh, but you'll hear some of it in the in the recording and uh, some of the other spots that were a part of the campaign. Also, if you want to read the full written case study, it's available to members on the Work website. And if you're interested in learning more about Work and its extensive offering on marketing effectiveness and intelligence, you can visit Work.com and request a demo. So here are Dominic Pope, Global Marketing Manager at Maersk in Denmark, and Brian Hogg, Strategy Director, Hevis Media Group in London. Enjoy. So let's start off um, with Brian. Can you give us a sense, Brian, of you know how would you describe you know what you think this is a great example of what this case is a great example of um i think for i think you could distill it into one word which would be um i think it's a good example of the of bravery there is there's not many b2b um, players that are behaving in this way and i think this is a testament to um dom uh, dom and the team i think you know the the power of of behaving in in more a kind of 
B2C uh, context and, and what that can actually unlock um, for, for B2B brands, basically, I would say. Yeah, and, and I t- completely agree with that. I think once, once uh, people get to see this work, and for those who have already seen it, they recognize the fact that this is not unusual, it seems, for, for this brand to do work that has, a, that has an imagination and that recognizes that we don't have to uh, produce uh, communications that are all about features and benefits in B2B. Thank you. Yes, it, it's it builds on uh, it's built on some work we we first started uh, in 2019, and I think you know as everybody knows that the the person whether they're in their private life or in their or in their work life, you know they're still a person at the end of the day, and I think there's uh, there's many sort of B two B cliches, and you know there's there's lots of stock photos and 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 very. Uh, familiar ways that people are used to seeing B2B brands advertised, but were fighting for their attention, were vying for their attention um, in in lots of different environments. And, and we've got to do that in a way that's going to cut through to them and uh, emotionally connect with them. So so we need to to push the boundaries and make something that's going to, you know, we, we've got a big shift um, to do with the with the brand. I think from a from a comms point of view, there was a there was a significant focus on sort of traditional B2B trade channels, but this also bled out into the broader business community uh, and, and maybe into some sort of B2C programming that um, was used in a smart way, Brian, right? This, this was not, um, I mean, this was by design. All the work that's been done in the uh, effectiveness arena um, and trying to strike the balance with achieving an element of of, of broadness, of breadth, essentially, um, with media, but still trying to, you know, maintain that we are um, pointing towards the correct, the correct audience. So even even in the broadest media, there is kind of um, tactical and um, I guess category overlays that ensured that we that we were targeting the right people. Can you tell us about how you would define the business and, and who were its who were its competitors at that time? Um, so, so Maersk is uh, you know very strongly known in the in the world of shipping. Uh, so, around about twenty percent of all ocean going trade uh, travels onto uh, on a on a Maersk vessel, and that is what the brand has been known for uh, since uh, since its incarnation back um, back about one hundred and fourteen years ago. And that was the view from from where customers saw it. It was very much this this ocean side of logistics. And what we were looking to do, uh, and what we've been on a journey to do, is to is to communicate to customers this move from from ocean shipping to actually the end to end connected supply chain, so that we can do different modes of transportation. We can do different parts of that uh, of the logistics business for them you mentioned 20 percent. was there a sense that there wasn't enough of a growth opportunity on the ocean and therefore you needed to move into the land so to speak um, i think it's more about uh it's more about customer centricity and doing things that uh that customers want us to do um and, and actually delivering more of their supply chain um you know by by combining those pieces together, there's sort of the, the efficiency gains that customers can can make uh, and the simplification. 
Um, traditionally, ocean shipping uh, and, and logistics has, has been quite complicated. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of advantages that you can bring to the customers by bringing the different modes of transport together. Um, really kind of looking to, to simplify it and give greater visibility and data and control to customers by, by, by putting things together. When I hear you say that, I think of sort of UPS and what UPS did a number of years back when they sort of, they had that campaign, what can Brown do for you? And it was really about this idea of UPS being more than the package that they were getting into. I think at the time they defined it as logistics. So I'm curious in your category, what exactly do you mean by getting into logistics and, and what are the component pieces that you needed to add on to your core shipping offering or your core, I suppose it's the, it's the, uh, it's the ocean offering of getting something from one port to another. And um, so it's, it's very much, it's very much communicating. We, we have the abilities to deliver, uh, be it across, uh, across ocean. Uh, but also intermodal transport um, methods. So things like uh, road transportation, things like uh, transportation on rail, things like uh, air transportation through air freight. Um, and bringing those together, uh, those different modes of transportation, along with things like storage. But there's, there's more to it than that. There's the, there's the actual digital and data connectedness side of things to actually give customers a visibility of where their cargo is, what condition their cargo is, and when it's expected to arrive at its destination, and pulling together those different uh, component parts as well. Uh, and, and thirdly, there's the, there's the level of expertise and, and sort of insights that we can give to, to customers to help them plan that journey. You know, um, how do you get from, from point A to, to point B? You know, how do you get from from where your goods are manufactured to a place where they can be uh, ultimately delivered to their end consumer in, in the most efficient way and, and giving them the, the best, easiest way and, uh, and, and controlling all of those aspects of the supply chain. So my understanding is that you, you guys got a new CEO in 2016 and I think he brought with him a sort of a vision, three to five year vision that said that uh, he wanted it to be as easy to ship a container across the world as it is for a consumer to ship a package. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering when, when there's a lofty vision set, uh, set out uh, like that one, it, the first thing I think about is, well, you've got, a, you've got a lock and plug and play all of these different new um, components into this offering. So did you guys do that by acquisition? Did you have to create from scratch some of it? And how long did it take to actually go from having a base ocean offering to having a full logistics offering that you could actually begin to market? Um, I mean, there's been, uh, the, the Merce group itself uh, has been, uh, ha has had many of these different um, assets uh, over a number of years, but, um, but really it was a case of bringing those together. So there were some other brands that uh, operated under Merck and other sort of parts of the portfolio. So part of it was a case of, of bringing those together um, and, and giving one unified offering to, to customers. Uh, half of it, and some of it was also done through, through acquisition of, uh, of new business, uh, sorry, of new businesses as well. So there's a whole kind of range of, of different things that kind of came together 
within that uh, within that strategy that said that we were going to focus on on end to end logistics. And I got to assume that so was it uh, was it a relatively long period of time before you could go to market with the vision, or was it kind of ready to go in year one in terms of you announcing this newly defined brand? No, it's it's very much uh, it's very much a case of getting those component parts all together and and in a place where we're you know we're able to offer those to customers and, and actually deliver upon that and um, and with uh, we were aware that it was coming so we you know we started the the planning and um, we launched our first campaign at the brain back in 2019 when we were talking about us going through this this transformation. Uh, and asking customers to really look at how they perceived us and uh, to understand that we were, you know, we were on this journey uh, up until, you know, the, the Connect Your World in New Ways campaign, which kind of came a, a year after that, after customers had kind of been primed and informed that we were doing that uh, transformation and look at us to a different way. It was then a kind of confident statement that, yes, we, we can do all these things. We can connect their world in new ways. When you hear about this sort of pivot that the brand, this evolution of the brand that's happening in the offering, mm-hmm. I mean, is a part of you kind of freaking out? Like, how do I, how do I make this adjustment? How do I pivot? Um, and, and what were some of your early thoughts in terms of you have a responsibility in marketing? You, marketing has got to be a big part of this in terms of beginning to evolve the reputation among customers. What are some of the things you're thinking about and struggling with in your mind? I think, I mean, I think the first thing to say was um, that was this strategy was was not something that uh, was kind of sprung on. Um, it was very much based upon upon data and insights and conversations with customers. So when you actually when you're actually kind of in there, it makes very logical sense. What uh, what what the strategy is and what we're looking to do, um, and and I you know truly believe that it comes from a from a customer centric point of view. Um, we touched upon those different methods of, of transportation uh, and being able to offer that service, but the actual you know the digital the data the tracking those side of things really come to the fore uh, when you're when you're dealing across what can be a very complex supply chains so actually when you you know when you take a step back and you see what uh, what sort of efficiency growth opportunities that this could give to customers you know people are ready for this and it's uh, it's it's something that will benefit them what what's really interesting to me as i read through the case um, um, uh, Dom was the fact that um, this was done in three phases, and the brain was the announcement, and mm-hmm. the focus of the brain was interesting to me. Were you sort of laying the groundwork for what would be an eventual offering? Is that the way to think about that first phase of the brain? What was your ask of the agency, and then how would you describe that spot called the brain? Um, so the ask for the agency was was really to get cut through uh, to to that to the C-suite audience. So the you know the level above necessarily the the buyers for logistics, but actually the the absolute top tier from the audience that we would recognise that Maersk is going through a, a transformation to look at things in a different way. Um, um, 
And we had these attributes of um, being open, trusted and brave that we really wanted to, to get across in that communication, challenging the status quo, uh, which was very much, very much key part of that campaign. Um, that, uh, that really is kind of, you know, to, to really advance, you have to, you have to do things differently. You have to change from what you're, what you're doing currently. Um, and ultimately, you know, what's, what's the benefit that that brings? And so what we hear in the spotter, I, as the way I would describe it, is that there's sort of two characters and each of them personifies uh, something different. One, one character, the female character, she personifies change. And the male character that we'll hear, uh, he, sa- he sort of um, uh, personifies the status quo. So it's really about the debate that, um, that happens between the two of them. So let's have a listen to that. I didn't know you were up at this hour. I couldn't sleep. I've had an idea. Let's talk about it in the morning. I think you'll like it. I think you know my answer. You don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> Let me have a wild guess. It's something wonderfully different. So disruptive. Such mind-blowing potential. So? Why don't we do it? You just don't get it, do you? I've had your back for a zillion years because I stood my ground. I protected everything that was fragile and precious from your random ideas. I'm the reason we're alive. Well, there's more to life than being alive. Can you hear how crazy that sounds? It might sound crazy, but that's what it takes. That's what feeds new ideas, ideas that take us places, that travel the world, connects what wasn't connected. Look at it. We don't need more ideas. We need less. I think it's a really interesting debate. And, and that piece, I think, really pulls together the, the, the different sides of the argument, arguing for maintaining the, the status quo and, and then the arguments for change. And I, I think that the piece really brings together those uh, arguments in, in a really interesting way. Because what's interesting, uh, Brian, is that there's two different audience. There's there's a different audience now that you have to go after for the brand because the brand has historically had one audience. Now it has to go upstream and target C-suite for the larger sort of logistics conversation, which tends to involve a C-suite level in many cases. So how does that influence your comm strategy with Brain? trying to position or positioning Maersk as a strong, trusted partner um, towards the the sea level was really a way of winning them over and getting them to understand that that Maersk are of strategic importance and it's you know this new offering or the or the change that they're going through is something that they should they should take note of, which is why we we appeared in the environments of the likes of uh, CNBC, for instance, um, and, and the broadsheets. When you were talking earlier, you referenced the fact that you guys had learned a bunch of insights. What would be an example of one or two things that became sort of key for you in terms of how you looked at what your greatest challenge was going to be? Um, we saw them. We saw them as as really this. Uh, I think you know, as as, as the brain reflects. Um, it's very easy to to keep the the status quo, yeah. um, and and actually, uh, but many of them felt that there was a real opportunity 
within logistics. There is there is a huge amount of potential in there, and uh, and that was something that really stood out to us to um, to to how we could communicate. We talked about the brain, which was in 2019, maybe the early half of 2019, and then uh, later that same year, there's another sort of uh, spot that runs called Spot Booking, which uh, which is kind of centered around. Imagine if a restaurant was like shipping, and so you were. It looks like you were putting you were putting the entire sort of uh, offering in a context that people could connect with. Can you can you talk, uh, Dom, about what the goal was with that that spot called Spot Booking? Yeah, I mean, we were really out to to revolutionize the way that uh, that people um, booked their uh, booked their shipments. Um, the uh, and I think from a from an outside in perspective, I think if you you know if if you look at the way that you that you ship and the way that things are, are booked, then um, then it does seem uh, it does seem quite a, a quite a strange system. Uh, it's kind of got many years of legacy behind it, and we were really looking to to change that. Uh, we we're looking to change that way of of doing things because it you know talked before about customer centricity. And we were we were we had a product and a way of of booking for customers that said no you you can change you can do things differently you can do them in a in a new way that gives them so much more in in of certainty of uh, of the way that their containers are shipped and the way that they pay their prices and and so on. And um, we wanted to we wanted to convey we we understood the um, the challenges is so so we looked to do that in a humorous way. It said, you know, imagine if a restaurant was like shipping. So let's let's get this new way of, of doing things and, and let's get out to the market. Um, and that product has been phenomenally successful because I think it, it really answers customer needs. Yeah, and I think when you look at spot booking, uh, and we'll drop the audio track in now, but it, it's where you're actually, you're inside of a restaurant, it's sort of a formal restaurant, and you're seeing people sitting at tables. And then, as you'll hear the narrator say, there's things that start to change. It, ordering becomes incredibly complex. Uh, maybe you'll get you'll get pushed. Uh, maybe you'll have double booking, so there's going to be people sitting on your lap in the restaurant. Imagine if a restaurant was like shipping. What would it be like? Well, ordering would mean lots of paperwork. And it's, you know, complex. Once you place your order, everything seems fine. Unless, of course, there's an overbooking. When that happens, you might be rolled. So, it's quite common to place extra orders, just to be on the safe side, but not always letting the supplier know that you did, and all the while the price might change, or extra fees might be added. This is quite a challenge, when all you want is a clear overview of your price. At Maersk, we believe it's time for a change, and we're going all the way to make it happen. Introducing Maersk Spot, a loading guarantee easy online booking, and a fixed price. We're talking about some of the films, or kind of uh, the ones that we've talked about so far. Uh, but then there's got to be a lot of things going on from a sales support, sales uh, comms point of view. Uh, what's happening sort of below the line 
as in 2019? What are you having to provide salespeople with? Uh, what are you having to provide extra marketing support with? And, and did they have a tie back to any of the sort of above the line tactics that we've talked about so far? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's super important that, uh, that the sales team, as they, as they go out and interact with customers and, and speak with customers, that they, they um, are all coming, coming together with the, with the same messaging. So we, uh, we had a, um, a huge global sales conference where we, we really introduced, you know, this from, we, we, we had that there from a, you know, collaboration of, of sales and marketing to really talk through how this was part of the strategy how these communications were going out to, to customers, um, how the, they, they as salespeople could really help support the, the actual communication efforts as well. You know, the, the likes, the shares and, and, and everything with the, with the pieces on social and then gave them the materials that, that fitted into their sales presentations and, and their kind of understanding of what, you know, of the campaign. In the B2C realm, we're used to hearing about work being tested because it's not that difficult to get a group of, uh, you know, consumers in a, in a room or, or on a Zoom call and test some work. Uh, but in the B2B realm, when you, when you have very specific decision makers who don't generally participate in something for $25, um, they, uh, they, have a, they have a little little less of a tolerance for it. How do you sort of build the confidence inside the organization that what you're going to do uh, is going to work and doesn't need to be field tested or do you test it in some way that gives it legitimacy no no absolutely we i mean we've got a a big a big range of uh of customers of customer panels uh where we've got people at all different levels of the of the buying process and that, that inform us hugely on on a lot of the products that we uh develop and a lot of the research that we do um, and we also work with um, we also work with third party agencies in terms of yeah taking the target audience for the for the campaigns and and running by um, and be it running by the kind of key messaging and ideas right through to to running through the the scripts. And so in in this case, do you do you remember anything that sort of surprised you or anything that you felt you needed to adjust it to adjust? when you exposed some of these early ideas? Because as you said earlier, the, the work is very brave and it's very distinctive. And I can imagine that certain creatives were kind of sitting in uh, back in their offices, just uh, chewing on their thumbs, trying to, trying to anticipate what the reaction might be. Because they're not the, I can imagine they're not the easiest things to communicate uh, outside of their fully formed end product or their end film. How, what did you learn and, and what needed to be adjusted? Um, so we, uh, so yeah, so you, you're absolutely spot on the, uh, you know, putting, putting these in is, uh, is quite a mission in itself, especially yeah. when you, you sort of, you know, you're, you're doing a script test, uh, against something which is, uh, which can be quite, quite visual. Um, so, uh, so yeah, a lot of it was fed down into, into the kind of language, um, and, uh, and also some, some tailoring to different, for different markets in, in terms of the way that we did, uh, in the in the way that we did translations, particularly, um, so really focusing on the on the absolute detail and and the and the meaning of each individual word, um, so that the the nuance was got across. Uh, that that was imperative. It's very easy to take something and just do kind of a direct, simply simple translation, 
but to to really get the creative across then uh, then we did a huge uh, huge amount of work and, and also working with our with our regional colleagues to make sure that um particularly you know that in the dialogue that things were were conveyed in the right way and so without without getting into any detail here where you when you tested work did you test um different conceptual directions to go in or did you guys have this direction that you that you ended up producing that you were heading in that you just wanted to get some bounce back on so did, was there multiple things on the table at that point and um, there was more like uh, there was more like longer pieces on the table so it was more a case of we we pretty much uh, decided on the on the direction um but the actual the actual content behind it was quite a lot bigger uh, and then it was working through and refining it down. So it was more more useful in in terms of um, isolating the bits that really stood out and, and and made the message, and then also using it to to inform what we could actually strip out. So trying to trying to make things as succinct and as clear as possible. So then, Dom, we get to July 2020 and the launch of the spot called Disconnected, which for me just felt like. Uh, Stranger Things meets the uh, BMW films. I mean, it was just stunning to me. Uh, tell us about what your goal was with that spot. Thank you. Yeah, so so our goal was really to to get cut through. Um, we, you know, we had this we had this message that we really wanted to get across to customers that we could we could connect their world in new ways. Um, we worked a lot of the core messaging into the into the voiceover uh, that you hear. Which is very much the traditional kind of hero, uh, traditional um, trailer voice. We worked very hard to get that, um, and we wanted to to make something that was going to get a really high impact with customers. And we knew that we had to be brave in order to do that. So we came up with this with this spot that used very much the traditional film trailer, film sort of thriller imagery, um, and and put that out. And we had a lot of discussion about, you know, is it too scary? Is it is it too edgy? Um, or uh, are customers uh, are customers going to see it um, for for that? Uh, you know, get the excitement that we have got for it. And it it just we we had some very high targets for it, and and it surpassed them. Uh, it just the way that it sort of went through, not only LinkedIn because I I think it was such an unexpected piece of creative to see in a, in a, a platform like LinkedIn. Um, but because of the very visual nature of it, because of the kind of film film style, then it really cut through on other channels, uh, both things like Facebook and Instagram, and also on WeChat in China. What if the road forward was no longer clear? What is this? What if things which should be simple made no sense? This is a five-minute film. And, I mean, it's yeah. so engaging. You stay with it. You can't let go of it because it, it, it almost sort of boggles the mind. So it's almost like the underlying storytelling is about um, the and the parallel, I assume, with, with your offering is that um, it's, it's the complexity of things happening, the complexity of logistics, the unexpected nature of what can and cannot happen. Is, is that sort of parallel with the business? Is that the way you were kind of framing the storytelling? Because it's a it's an extraordinary way of framing it. 
Yeah, we're very much focusing, you know, it's a very global story and we've got all these interactions between people happening uh, on a on a global level. And also, um, you know, I touched upon the digital before, but there's these two sides to it. You've got the you've got the actual physical piece and you've got the actual data and the way the visibility of of how that's moving through as well. So so you've got all of these different aspects and different parts of the world of logistics, you know, the warehouse, the truck and, and so on, all coming together and how they all kind of interact with each other um, and, and done in an entertaining way that, uh, that, got people's, uh, that got people's attention. I mean, that has then, to be, uh, it has to have been, was that difficult for you to sell into your organization or are your, are your folks just equally as enlightened when it comes to how communications actually work in the real world? And I think it was it was one of those things where selling in the selling in the script and what that we are planning to do um, was harder when people haven't fit, seen the you know the finished the finished product. Yeah. I think when people had seen the finished product, they you know they were really wowed by it. We we knew we'd got something special. So you, you mentioned you mentioned that it actually exceeded expectations. I mean, how my last question will be: How did you how did you how did you define success and what were the sort of the KPIs that were important for you to track? So in terms of, uh, I mean, in short term KPIs, we were, we were very much looking at the media metrics, you know, the view through rate, the click through rate, those people that came onto the landing page and, and their dwell time. And, and for all of those, then it, um, yeah, we were so far over, over benchmarks. Um, yeah. How about, how about the, how about the business, the business KPIs? So the, from a business KPI's point of view, we're really looking at these, uh, at, you know, the reputation shift and the perception shift. Uh, and and here again, uh, you know, these things don't happen overnight. So you've got the you've got the media metric KPIs that you're looking to, and watching those perform, and then um, and then it's that uh, and then it's that waiting for that that period of time for those to then flow through and and start to come through into the into the medium. It's sorry into the. Um, in, into the reputation and brand scores and our brand tracker, and and here you can you know you can just see a, a real distinct uplift uh, as a consequence of doing this and, and the way that customers perceive us. When when we look at the launch in July 2020 of the disconnected film, Brian, what were what was the comm strategy around that? Because it it was a unique bit of film. It was a five minute length. Uh, how did you work with that? So what we wanted to do was have a um, essentially the tactics of like small screen cultural events. So the likes of uh, a Netflix series or, or um, something notable, some notable programming um, and how, how they would typically use tactics to, um, to announce it because we wanted to kind of play on this um, faux film trailer uh, positioning so we, we went into the likes of addressable um addressable video um across uh platforms such as hulu um the attention and the uh, yeah, the interest that it gained through the likes of you know youtube for instance people were really sure that this was a um you know an, an interesting series or film that was coming out and really uh it really impressed people that it that it was coming from from Maersk. for those of you who want the, the more details on the actual case study uh, you can download it from work.com if you're a member 
or if you're not a member, you can obviously uh, learn more about WARC and their capabilities and uh, information in terms of marketing effectiveness content at WARC.com. And you can ask for a, uh, you can actually request a demo on the site. So thank you, Dom Pope. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Fergus. And congratulations. Uh, my <laughs> pleasure. You. And thank you to Brian Hogg, uh, who is a strategy director at Havas Media Group in London. Uh, it was great having you on also, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. And we'll see everybody in the next episode. <laughs>